John chapter 4, verse 24. It says this. It says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. When we enter into a worship night, it's really important for us to understand that what we do is spiritual. The worship that we enter into has lots of meaning, and it has so much meaning outside of the physical realm. But so many times we get stuck in the physical, worrying about who's next to us or what's going on or what are my worries of the day and all those kind of things that we don't think spiritually about our worship. As you entered into the room, there's a cross right in the middle of the room. And it's very symbolic of how we want to make Jesus the center of our worship. We want to make him the focus of our worship. And so I want to challenge you. I want to call you to that. I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Let the cares of the world go. Look on him. Sing his praise, not yours. Sing his praise for his goodness. Think about the love that he has for you and sing praise for that. Think about the hope that he gives every single day and sing praise to that. Think about maybe the worries that you have and say, God, I surrender to you and I'm going to praise you all the way through it. You know, sometimes we think that worship is supposed to be charismatic. Maybe. Sometimes we think worship is supposed to be this like huge expression of things. Yeah, maybe. I just think that worship needs to be authentic. Don't you? Just be authentic. Just be real. And when we come into a worship night like this, oh gosh, we have a great moment to be real before God and know that he's going to love us and accept us if we just bring our worship. I came across a quote from A.W. Tozer. Anybody know who A.W. Tozer? He's like an old guy from way back when, wrote some really amazing books, but one of those is Pursuit of God. And I came across this quote and I want to read it to you. And I think it'll really help us as we direct our worship tonight. He says this, he says, a crucified believer is only looking in one direction. That's the quote. A crucified believer is only looking in one direction. And I pray that it's only Jesus. Will you make it only Jesus tonight? Will you fully surrender to the Lordship of Christ and allow your worship to be much different than the world's worship. Let your worship be an exalting of the King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so let's fix our eyes on him, and let's just see what he does when we do that. All right, it's all about Jesus. That's what we're here tonight as we get ready to start this worship, as we get ready to seek more about who God is. We're ready to sing more about only King Jesus. All right, Acts 4.11. Let's read together, nice and loud, nice and proud. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Think about that. The name that is the Lord, the name that is above every other name. When we think about worship, we think about the name that is King Jesus. That's why we're here. So tonight, as we get ready for our prayer time, I'm going to ask you to take your seat and just think about this. God is a big God, 
And here's the deal. We don't have one real good name to call God. We don't have one real word to call God except because he's so big. He's so worthy of praise. There's so many attributes about him, so many crazy things about God that we have given them different names to describe him and to seek him more, understand him more. So tonight, Stephen and I are going to walk through three different names of God. And what I'm going to ask you to do is as, as you read each name, as you think about each name, I want you to stop and reflect on what that means for your life and what Jesus has done in your life and what that means that you should do in, in action and in movement. Okay? So the first name is the name Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh with me. Yahweh. All right? Yahweh, which means the Lord. So this name in ancient Hebrew was a very holy name. It was a name that was never really spoken. It was never really said, but it was known that the Lord is Yahweh. But what does that mean? So you look throughout the Old Testament, in Genesis and Exodus, all these other books, we see this God, Yahweh, which meant holy, reverent God. He is holy. He's this great God who's done amazing things. He's holy. But then we get to Exodus 2. And that same name, Yahweh, is used when Moses is in front of the bush. And God says, I am who I say I am. Yahweh. So what's important about that? God was holy. He was perfect. But here's the deal. God became the relational God in that moment. Yahweh was meant to relational God as well. He was a God that wanted to know you, but also wanted to be known as well. This God wants us to know him personally. Jeremiah 23, 5 through 7 reads, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will rise up a righteous descendant from the line of David. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just throughout the land. This will be his name, the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu. In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. The next name or attribute of God, if you will, that we're going to be studying is called Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah Sidkenu, as we read in this passage, means the Lord our righteousness. So before going into this, I kind of want to take a second and look at what this word righteousness even means. Paraphrasing, the word righteousness refers to um, someone who is seen or um, is trying to be morally correct. I know as... Um, for myself, I think that so often as someone who's grown up in the church, and I know many of us can relate with this, that sometimes it's so easy to get wrapped up in the swing of things, kind of get wrapped up in, you know, reading our Bible or praying to God when all we're doing is we're doing these things for our own self-righteousness. So what's the point? I think so often we can, we get, we get caught up in doing these things, but all we're doing them for is ourselves rather than um, chasing after the righteousness that God asks us. In Romans 7, it reads, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my life, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this sin? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul had come to the realization that no matter what he did, as long as he was chasing after self-righteousness, it wasn't getting him any closer to God. So tonight... As we reflect on this name, Jehovah Sidkenu, let us reflect on the fact that we serve a righteous God. Let us reflect on the fact that every sin we've ever committed and every sin that we will commit, God put it on a cross, nailed it, in order to offer us a righteous relationship inside of him. We can try all that we want, but as long as we're pursuing our own righteousness, as long as we're pursuing these things for ourselves, we're never going to get closer to God. 
the reality is for us as people, there's battles in our lives. There's things going on in our lives that we need deliverance from. And what's amazing about this is in Exodus uh, verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 15, we see this unique name of God called Jehovah Nisi, and it means the Lord, my banner. I know many of us, I mean, many of us have struggled with things that we need a deliverer. We need a banner to go before us and fight our every single battle. With a show of hands, let's see who all is wrestling with something that needs deliverance from, needs a battle to be fought for. A lot of us. We need a great deliverer. We need Jehovah Nisi to be our banner who will go before us. And so in this moment, I want you guys to think about that battle and think about the deliverer we have in Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives and cry out to him because he is your banner. He will go before you in battle and fight for you every single day. But we gotta trust him in that. Oh, praise the name of the Lord, our God. Before we can praise the Lord genuinely, we have to see him clearly. Do you believe that? Because if we sing with empty praises, that doesn't mean much. That does not mean much. And so tonight, I really want us to focus on continuing inviting the presence of the Lord in this room tonight. We're gonna be in Acts 2, 36 to 39, and I'm so excited to share with you all. Um, So turn with me to there. I'm going to read it for us. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Jesus Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are, Father. I thank you that you were in this moment with us. I thank you, Lord, that you are the reason why we move and have our being and why we are here. Father, I pray would you meet us here? Would you meet us in this moment? May a word that comes from my mouth, Lord, be pleasing to you every single time. Father, I thank you and I praise you for what we have tonight. Show us more of your glory. Show us more of your truth. Amen. So tonight, we're going to see, one, we, before we dive in, we have to know the context of something, right? If we're parking somewhere, we better know where we're at or we're in trouble. And so we see in Acts 1 that Jesus is with his disciples, This is 40 days after his resurrection, and he is about to commission them, which means send out. He's about to send them out to be his workers for his harvest, to spread the gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and across the ends of the earth. And he tells them that the Holy Spirit is coming, the promised one. And so then we get to Acts 2. And Peter and the apostles are together, and there's a host of people, kind of like this room. And then all of a sudden, a mighty rushing wind comes in. This is no normal thing. And then all of a sudden, everyone starts speaking a different language. Can you imagine what that would feel like? It'd be like if we're going to FedEx Forum. For those of you who don't know, that is an event center. The Grizzlies play there, Tigers. Sometimes there's concerts. Um, But it would be like being at a game, and one minute everything's fine. The next moment, everyone is speaking in a different language. That's kind of scary, but that's what was promised. That is the Holy Spirit. 
But even though some believed, some doubted. The ones that doubted knew the word. They knew the scriptures, but still they forgot the prophecy that was going to be fulfilled in that moment. So Peter has to get up and kind of set the record straight. He tells them about this Jesus who's already come and how we live in that victory. He walks through the Old Testament prophecies. Do do you know that Jesus coming fulfilled over 300 prophecies? Y'all think about that. Our Lord fulfilled everything that he was supposed to. And these guys studied that and yet they forgot. But Peter gives them a chance to respond. And so tonight I'm gonna give you the points off the bat for those of you who like taking notes. The first one is that the name of Jesus holds power. The name of the Savior holds power. And the second one is that the gospel demands repentance. It demands a response. And so as Peter is in this text, he's telling them about this. And guess what? We cannot be passionate about what we don't know. Do y'all know that? We cannot be passionate about what we don't know. But on the flip side, sometimes we know things and we're not passionate. And that's what we're seeing with the devout Jews. In their context, in a Middle Eastern context, children by the age of five were studying the word. They knew the law, they knew the prophets, they knew everything. And really by the age of 15, you could almost say that they're kind of a pro. Like, I wish I was a pro at the Bible. I am not, but they were. And yet, they did not recognize the promised Holy Spirit. Yet they missed it. And we see tonight that it is completely possible to know God, to know his word, but then completely miss it. It is possible to know the word and completely miss it. Y'all, I remember when I started driving, it was only six years ago, so take for what you will, Um, but raise your hand in here if you got your permit recently. Hold them high, hold them high. Um, Everybody else, look at those hands. You might want to watch out for them on the road, you know, on Germantown, maybe in the parking lot. I'm just kidding. I'm probably, no, you guys are probably amazing drivers. Um, But when I was 16, all I wanted to do was drive. There's one thing that stood in the way, though this little thing called driver's ed class. And so I remember sitting hours and hours and more hours, listening about driving, thinking about driving, hearing other people talk about driving and then see my friends driving through the window. And so I was just like, you know what? I'm over this. If you're like me, you do not like to wait on things. You don't like to talk about stuff and then not do it. And so then I just, in my mind, I was like, you know what? They just need to get me behind the wheel because I'm going to be the best 16-year-old driver that the East Coast had ever seen, you know? And so I was like, all right, I'm ready. So finally, after all that waiting, the day came for me to drive, and I was so excited behind this new Chevy Impala everyone was talking about, you know? And so I get there, and y'all, that's exactly what happened. I was the best driver my driver's ed teacher had ever seen. He said my friends were really just terrifying him and he thanked me for my driving. And every part of that story is true, except for one minor detail. The first time I tried to drive, y'all, I tried to drive with both feet, okay? It's out in myself right there. I tried to drive with both feet. I promise I'm better now, but it didn't stop there. Cause I was like, you know what? Both feet seems like I have control. I mean, the ones who drive with one foot, like whatever, but I'm gonna surpass that. 
So I tried to drive with both feet and then I almost crashed the car <laughs> into a tree so bad <laughs> that my driver's ed teacher literally took up the parking brake like it's his job. Like literally was like, yeah, okay, no. Get out of the car right now, run around back and we're, you're just gonna watch for a second. And I was like, dude, what the heck? <laughs> I was so prepared in that moment. How could, it, how could I fail, you know? How could I fail? But here's the thing, after all the hours of studying, after all the hours of sitting under my driver's ed teacher, after all the hours of holding this manual, acting like it was a Bible and taking it with me everywhere I went, I knew a lot about driving, but I had never experienced it. And so y'all, in the same way, it is easy to learn about the name of God, but if you don't experience his power, that means nothing. And that is what they grasped that moment. And Peter gave them a chance to respond. They, in that moment, they were cut to the heart. Y'all, that's not casual language. We don't use that, at least I don't. Y'all might be like more evolved than me, but I don't, you know? It's not like they were one day of, okay, yeah, what'd you do today? And they were like, I played with my brothers and sisters, went and fetched some water, played catch with some camels. And then I was just cut to the heart when I read the word, but it's no big deal. Like, no, they did not do that. They realized that they had to respond to the gospel. They realized the heart of what they believed and what they were saying was not matching up. And so y'all, how many times are we in that spot? How many times do we sing the songs without the heart behind it? How many times do we sit under teaching and say, yeah, whoever, that's awesome but then don't realize the power that is within us because the same God that rose Jesus from the grave is living in us. Do we know that? Do we act like that? Tonight, are you coming in or is this just another worship night? Is this just another moment to say, Jesus, you're cool, but I'm gonna do my own thing the minute I step outside of those doors or are you sobered by the name of God? They say, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter tells them, repent. Let's say it all together, repent. That's not a casual word either. And so they know that I have to respond to Jesus and I have not. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah six tells us an account of this as well. As he is in a vision of the Lord and his majesty in his throne room, does he go and say, yeah, Jesus, you're cool, but I'm gonna do my own thing. No, in fact, he says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Because inside of an almighty God, he fell to his knees. He fell to pieces. Y'all, do you realize who your God is? Do you realize that his name holds power? Are you responding to that? Or are you responding to everything else outside of these doors? and outside of what the Lord wants to distract or what Satan wants to distract in that moment because our God is greater than that. He's bigger than that. And as the band's gonna come up in a little bit and we're gonna worship again together, I want y'all to think about that. Are you sobered by the name of God? Have you responded to his holiness? Or are you just sitting around doing your own thing? And while you do that, I have another confession for you. I feel like I'm exposing all parts of myself tonight. Um, but when I love to cook, and 
so when I cook, like sometimes I feel like I am Gordon Ramsay, like Rachel Ray, no pun intended, just because it's my name. Um, but I feel like I can do anything and no cooking fails here. Then other days I'm like, yo, what is the stove? <laughs> like, how do you turn that on? How do I do this? And so in this process, all of these years of cooking, um, I realized one thing, that when I cut white onions, I cry like a baby. And not just like a <laughs> whimper cry, <laughs> like it is a full out, ugly, ugly, ugly cry. Now, like I'm talking like Tony Stark, Avengers, Endgame, those of you who know what I'm talking about, that hit deeply. And for those of you that don't, I'm not going to spoil anything, but you need to watch it. And so, man, some, some long, where along the way, one, I don't like crying. And two, I was like, man, I still have to finish cooking. But it got to the point where it was too much, where I would have to stop for 45 minutes. I'm like, no, I'm hungry. <laughs> I want to eat now. And so in college, I used to swim in high school. And so I came up with a simple solution. I have my goggles. And I was like, you know what? They keep water out. And I can see through them. So they have to keep the scent of like onions out, right? So then I would wear these every time I cut onions. And as you can imagine, my friends roasted me so much, like so, so much to the point where I was like, are you still my friends? Like this kind of hurts, you know? But in that moment, I thought I was cool. I thought this is the best solution ever. But in reality, I looked like an idiot, an absolute idiot and keep tracking with me, I think sometimes that's the attitude we take to God, of God, your holiness is too much, you know? You demand too much from me. Because sometimes following Christ, it means I can't have the same friends that I have. I can't talk about the same things I wanna talk about. I can't do what I wanna do. So I'm gonna do my solution and kind of have my cake and eat it too. But here's the thing, in that analogy, those things did nothing. <laughs> like I still felt the effects of that. And even more so because now my eyes are clouded and then all of the water is getting through the goggles. So I, now I can't see either. And my eyes are burning. And so in that, guys, realize that what are the solutions that you might be thinking of that are great, but are keeping you from understanding who your God is, that are keeping you from what he wants for your life that are keeping you from understanding his holiness and his goodness. Because when I come into contact with God Almighty, I fall to my knees. And there are days where I need this reminder too. There are days, even a couple of weeks ago, when I was like, yeah, the gospel's cool, but um, I, don't, I wanna do my own thing. And y'all, that leads to half-hearted living. And you might be sitting in your seat right now, and you're like, Rachel, like, that's cool and all. Like, now I have some dirt on you because you look really lame in front of me with what you've admitted to us. But you don't know what I walked in here with. You don't know what I'm carrying on my back. You don't know how many times I've tried with God and he hasn't come through for me. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know. <laughs> you're right. We could talk about it. But there's a God who knows you by name who has called you by grace. And he is waiting for you to realize who he is. He is waiting for you to say, whatever is in front of him, whatever is blinding your sight, man, cast that away, because that is who he is. Y'all, when I was 17, God got a hold of my life. It, that would be six years in the fall, so not that long ago, but I sat in your seat. I did the whole church thing, but I, in, inside I was angry. 
I was coming from a broken home, coming from a broken place. And I had a hardened heart. I didn't know who God was, even though I thought I did. But guess what? He covered me because of his righteousness, not mine. Isaiah says that anything that we can give to the Lord is filthy rags. Any solution that we have is filthy rags. We have to fall before who he is. And so tonight you have an opportunity to that because in Ephesians 2, it says, but we were dead in our sin. Like not kind of dead, not sort of dead, really dead in our sin. But God being rich in mercy and grace saved us. It is by grace you have been saved. That same God, all of those who were far off, he's brought near by his blood, by his resurrection, by his power. That is the God that we serve. We were dead, but the most holy, most good, most personable, most kind, most gracious, most victorious God died on the cross for our sin. Do you believe that tonight? Is that the victory that you're walking in? Is that the freedom that you're walking in? Because if not, you're leaving so much on the table. You're leaving so much on the table because he cares for you. He saved you and he wants you to know him. And as we're about to pray and worship again, remember who he is because there's two options here. One, do our own thing, have our own solutions and maybe be okay for a second, but then end up looking dumb because Jesus Christ is the only solution. Or two, we can repent and surrender because in Acts, that is what it tells us, that the only response to the Lord is to repent. The only response to the Lord is surrender. So Steve in a little bit is gonna tell you how to respond tonight. But if there's something that you need to work out, work it out in your seat. As we sing these, the next two worship songs, which are home runs, you remember who your God is, what he has done for you, that there is power in the name that you're singing. It is not a passive thing. We do not serve a God that is passive or casual. We do not serve a God that is built on empty promises. We serve a God that is here. We serve a God that is present. Luke 9 tells us that the cost of discipleship is to not love ourselves, but to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, that's surrender and follow him. That cost is high, but the reward is worth it. Freedom is found in Christ alone. Freedom begins where our self ends. And so tonight, what are you gonna do? I wanna call your attention to the cross in the middle. Uh, over the next few moments, I'm gonna give you some freedom to move around the room. I'm gonna give you some time to sit with the idea of God's love for you. How much does he love you? You ever asked yourself that question? How much does Christ love you? For many of us, that question kind of breezes through our minds and we don't really embrace it, maybe because it's too deep for us to understand or, or maybe we just don't know enough about who he is and what he's done for us. But I want you to look at the cross. I want you to not just see that as a torture symbol for criminals. Because that's what it was back in those days, right? I mean, if you were guilty, you were put on a cross and humiliated. 
That was your punishment of death. The Romans loved it. It was humiliating. Blood flew everywhere. They loved the torture. They loved just humiliating, embarrassing, and they would put criminals naked on a cross. Put them out in the streets, up on a mountain, and let everybody just look at them and gaze at them and laugh. Ha ha, look at the guilty guy. We forget many times what Christ did for us and the death that he paid for you, the love that he has for you. And some of you have not embraced what that really means and how that, as Rachel just illustrated for us, it motivates us toward repentance. Like it moves our hearts and moves our feet toward making a decision of knowing and trusting and believing that what he did on the cross for you to pay the penalty for your sin, you ought to be on that cross. You ought to be up there because of your sin, because of the cruel things that you have done, the sin that you have harbored in your heart and your life, you deserve to be up there. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I don't want my children up there. I will take it. I will take that cross for them. God so loved the world, you and me, that he sent his one and only son to die on that cross so that we would have eternal life, so that we would have a relationship with God Almighty. We have the opportunity tonight to gaze at the cross, to think about the love, to embrace a Savior tonight. And I want to challenge you. And I, I think some of you stumbled into the room by accident. I believe you come into this spot. You didn't know it was worship night. You didn't know there would be a big fat cross right in the middle of the room. You didn't know a youth pastor would get up there and call you to make a decision. But you've come to this place tonight. A place of decision. Of what are you going to do about your eternity? Because without the cross... Your sin sends you to hell. And God in his righteousness and his justness has to deal with your sin. Has to. And so tonight, I want to ask you to do something that maybe you never thought of, or but maybe I don't know who's in the room that needs to know Christ and experience him in salvation tonight. But maybe tonight's the night for you. Maybe tonight's the night where you can simply go, I need Jesus to save me because, because of my sin and the things that I have done in my heart and my life. They have separated me from him. And what he did on the cross for me, I believe that by faith. I believe that and trust that and know that. That without Jesus, I would spend eternity in hell. And I don't want that. And you know what? Neither does God. And he loves you. Even in the middle of your sin, he's sitting right there with you. He's probably the one that's poking at your heart right now. He's the one that's probably stirring you. You're getting all nervous and kind of clammy. And you're like, I know I need to make this decision. I know I need to do this thing tonight. And he's leading you to that place. His kindness and his love toward you. 
He loves you that much that he's inviting you in this moment to say yes to him, to confess with your mouth and to believe in your heart that Christ not only died on that cross, but three days later, guess what? We just sang about it. The living hope that he is, he conquered death, he conquered the sin, is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's not dead anymore. Oh, he died on the cross, yes, for sure. They put him in a grave, but three days later, up from the grave he rose. Like, I, I mean, I just want to sing there. Uh, but he did that for you so that you would have eternal life. For the believers in the room, I want to ask you. One, I want you to pray. Pray for someone in this room that needs to know Christ. But also pray that you would never forget the cross that you would never get so calloused to the cross. But tonight, if there is a, someone in this room has never trusted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and tonight you're, you're saying, yes, I need Jesus. Yes, I need Jesus. Here in a few moments, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna, we're not gonna, we're gonna give you an opportunity to talk with someone, for someone to pray with you, to talk you through the decision of what it means to believe, to confess, to repent and receive him as Lord and Savior of your life. We're gonna sit and talk with you about that and give you the opportunity. We're not gonna shame you. We're not gonna guilt you. We're just gonna point you to Jesus because he's the one that saves you, not us. He does the work. And we want you to experience that. So here in a few moments, we're going to be singing some songs and there's going to be some people moving in the room and it's going to be your perfect opportunity not to embarrass yourself or not to embarrass anyone, but you'll have the opportunity here in just a minute that if you want to talk with someone about what it means to have Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, we will be here for you. You know, I was talking with somebody on Sunday uh, after church, after 11 o'clock service, we're all sitting in the, you know, we're not sitting, we're standing in the South Lobby and I was kind of talking with, there were two guests that were coming and um, I was just standing around talking with them, and I said, hey, I would love for you to come to Exit 15. I want you to come and be a part. It's going to be a great night. It's going to be a great night of worship and all that kind of thing. And the lady, the, 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 she was a college student, she, was, she stopped me. She said, Steve, you're doing the worship night this week? And I said, yeah. She goes, that was the night I got saved. Was that the worship night two years ago? And it was such a memory for her that she couldn't help but just, you got to go because it's an incredible moment. You got to go. And she's just imploring her friend to come. Guys, that could be you. That could be your testimony tonight. Tonight could be the night when you surrender your heart and your life to Christ. And I can't think of a cooler night. Now, any night would be, right? You know, even by your bedside is a cool night. But anytime you have the opportunity to make that decision for Christ, do it. So tonight for our invitation time, our response time, we're not done singing. There's a couple more songs that are in the set. But there are three stations that are in the room. You have the cross in the middle. You have the God box over there on the left. And then you have the white flag on the right. I'm going to walk you through kind of some symbolism and some symbolic actions that you can take tonight. We're going to leave the foot of the cross open. Some of you have some burdens that you need to give to Jesus some of you need to lay some things at the foot of the cross. Okay, you, 
In your chair, you got a white card. Did everybody get a white card? And you got a pen. Go ahead and grab that white card and grab that pen. If you didn't get one, steal one from the empty chair next to you. On that card, that, that's for you. It's blank for a reason because you get to fill it out. Some of you, tonight's the night where you just symbolically, you move from your chair and you bow your physical knee. Some of you need to do that. It may not be for everybody, and it's okay. But some of you tonight need to physically bow your knee and surrender to the lordship of Christ in your life. Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. God, I need forgiveness for this sin. I have some things that I need to lay at your feet. And tonight you have the opportunity to physically bow your knee at the foot of the cross. Many times we talk about that symbolically, right? Hey, you need to give your burdens at the foot of the cross. And you're like, okay, where's the cross? I don't know where, where am I going? Well, you have that opportunity tonight. And so this is station number one. It is like yours. Whatever, you, whatever business you need to do at the foot of the cross, here's your chance. Here's your chance. And maybe that'll be a memory for you. On that white card you have and that pen that you have, Maybe there's an anxious thought. Maybe there's a worry that you need to give to the Lord. You know, sometimes our thought life gets the best of us, doesn't it? The lies that we hear, Satan whispering little things, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not strong enough. Maybe there's some other lies about how your sin is too much. How can God forgive you? All lies straight from the pit of hell. But if there's a worry, if there's a burden, if there's a sin that you need to give to God, here's your chance. We have a God box. <laughs> you have a card. Take a moment, write down that burden, write down that worry, and say, God, I give this worry to you. And let God handle that worry, not you, not me. So maybe some of you are taking that card and dropping Here's what's really weird about this. I'm going to give it to God, but how weird would that be? Go, okay, God, I'm going to take that back. Like, that's weird, isn't it? Nobody, I don't think anybody would do that. If we're going to give it to God, let's give it to God. But here's the thing about God, which is really amazing. It's not that we would just give it over to you, but he's got something for you. As you surrender it to him, on this card, on this table, there are other cards. Have only Jesus on it. It is Bible verses, promises from God's word, that if I confess that thought and surrender to him, what he is going to do is provide me a hope that I would not normally have. And so as you drop that card symbolically and give it to God, what he's going to give you is a promise. And so as you drop it, you take it. Does that make sense? Got that one? I'm excited about that one. It's going to be good. Let's talk about the flag. Anybody know what a white flag means? Surrender. You know, this whole series that we're on, this Only Jesus series, it is surrendering to the complete lordship of Christ in our lives. That it, we're not just as Savior, but as Lord of our life. And what does that mean? And so as an act of symbolism, we have a white flag. We want you to have a white flag. 
that it would symbolically demonstrate the surrender that you have toward Christ. Jesus, I surrender my all to you. I surrender my future. I surrender my tomorrow. I surrender my past. I surrender it all to you. Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I surrender my pride. I surrender all of those things that, it, that get in the way. And so this white flag is for you. So we have a pair of scissors. It's over here. There's several of them, a bunch of them. We want you to come over, and if that's true of you, and you're truly surrendering to the Lordship of Christ in your life, that you would take these scissors that don't cut and take you off, cut you off a little bit of flag. And then that would be yours. And that would be your takeaway from tonight. Because God, I surrender. Maybe put that in your Bible. Maybe put that in your pocket. And just allow that to be a symbol of surrender. The de declaration that you're making before God tonight. And you're saying, Jesus, I'm all in. So do you know the three stations? And yes, I'm giving you freedom to walk around. Yes, I'm giving you freedom in this moment to take care of business with God. As we, the band is fixing to sing, you have these three stations. Kneel at the foot of the cross. Give it to God. White flag of surrender. Whatever it takes, you go wherever you go. Some of you are probably not going to move at all. And that's okay. No shame. No guilt. You're okay. Don't feel bad. But for those that need Jesus as Lord and Savior, for those that are saying, tonight's the night where I'm surrendering all of my sin. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to be standing right here underneath this screen. And several of our staff members are going to be kind of standing right around here. And as people are moving and people are walking around, if that's you tonight and you're surrendering your heart and your life to Christ, we would love to have the opportunity to talk with you, to pray with you, to meet with you, and walk you through what does it mean to have a relationship with Christ as Lord and Savior.